The following program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 11th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to help you build a strong financial blueprint uh, with today, what's happening in today's economy. If you're hearing my show at a different day or time, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have in studio. Please call the show at one 855 411 Again, that's one 855 411 or you can always go online to themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for the show today, I have Greg Nunn, regular contributor, my go-to guy for CPA advice. With Gregory S. Nunn & Company, we're discussing innocent spouse relief. What is that? How do you qualify it for it? Well, stay tuned for the show with my conversation with Greg. Also in studio, I have Larry Goins with the Goins Group LLC buying HUD homes uh, pennies on the dollar. So it'll be a great off conversation with Larry again, a, a regular guest or a guest that's been a few times uh, on the show. Great information and great guests in studio for more information or any topics you'd like to discuss. Please call the show at one 855 Again, that's one 855 and we're going to start out today with a little money chat. Money. Money. Today I wanted to share a little bit about reverse mortgages. So if you're 62 years or older or you have a parent that's 62 years or older and want money to pay off your mortgage, supplement your income, or pay for healthcare expenses, you may consider a reverse mortgage. It allows you to convert part of the equity in your home into cash without having to sell your home or pay an additional monthly payments. But take time. A reverse mortgage can be complicated and might not be the right loan for you. So a reverse mortgage can be used with the equity of your home, which means fewer assets uh, for you and for your heirs. If you do decide to take a look at one, review the different types of reverse mortgages in comparison shop before you decide on a particular company. Now, today I'm going to break it down for you. We're going to talk about how does a reverse mortgage work, types of reverse mortgages that are available for you, uh, shopping for a reverse mortgage, uh, be wary of sales pitch on reverse mortgage, just like anything else in sales. You got good sales people and you have not so good. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, your right to cancel and report any possible fraud. So how do reverse mortgages work? When you have a regular mortgage, you can pay the lender every month to buy your home over time. In a reverse mortgage, you get a loan in which the lender pays you. So reverse mortgages take part of the equity of your home and convert it into payments for you. Uh, kind of an advanced payment on the home equity. So the money you get usually is tax-free. Generally, you don't have to pay back the money for as long as you live in your home. When you die, sell your home or move out you, your spouse, or the estate would repay the loan. Now, sometimes that means selling the home to get money to repay the loan. There are three types of reverse mortgages. Single purpose reverse mortgages, 
offered by some state and local government agencies, as well as nonprofits. And then also there are uh, proprietary reverse mortgages, private loans and federally insured reverse mortgages, also known as home equity conversion mortgages or HECMs. So if you get a reverse mortgage of any kind, you get a loan in which you, you borrow against the equity in your home. You keep the title of your home. Instead of paying your monthly mortgage payments, though, you get an advance on the part of the home equity. So the money you get usually is not taxable again and uh, generally won't affect your Social Security or Medicare benefits. So when the last survivor borrower dies, sells the home or no longer lives in the home as a primary residence, the loan then at that time has to be paid back. In certain situations, a non-borrowing spouse may be able to remain in the home. Uh, Here are some things to consider about a reverse mortgage. There are fees and other costs. So reverse mortgage and lenders generally charge an origination fee and some additional costs as well. Uh, You also have servicing fees over the life of the mortgage. So Some also charge mortgage insurance premiums for federally insured HECMs. Now, you own more over time. As you get your money, your reverse mortgage and interest is added onto the balance for each month. That means that the amount that you owe grows as the interest on your loan adds up over time. Now, interest rates may change over time. So most reverse mortgages have variable rates, which are tied to the financial index and change with the market. The variable rate loans tend to give you more options on how you get to get your money through the reverse mortgage. Some reverse mortgages, mostly HECMs, um, offer fixed rates, but they tend to be require you to take the loan as a lump sum, and often the closing costs are higher. The total amount that you borrow is less than you could get with your variable rate loan. Now, interest is not taxable deductible each year, so interest on your reverse mortgage is not a deduction, and income tax on your income tax returns until the loan is paid off, either partially or in full. Uh, You have to pay other costs related to your home. So in a reverse mortgage, you keep the title again to your home. The means you are responsible for paying property taxes, you have to pay your insurance, your utilities, fuel maintenance, and other expenses. And if you don't pay your monthly taxes, keep homeowners insurance or maintain the home, the lender might require you to pay the loan in full. So financially, assessment, which is new, that they've changed this in 2015 that there's an assessment that requires when you apply for the mortgage as a result your lender may require uh, to set aside an amount to pay your taxes and insurance during the loan the what they call set aside reduces the amount of funds that you get in your payments so you are still responsible for maintaining your home now what happens to your spouse with HECM loans, if uh, you sign the loan paper and your spouse didn't, in certain situations, your spouse may continue to live in the home even after you die if he or she pays taxes and insurance and continues to maintain the property. But your spouse will stop getting money from the HECM since he or she wasn't part of the loan agreement. So what can you leave to your errors? Reverse mortgages can usually 
uh, use up the equity in your home, which means fewer assets for you to pay to your heirs. So most reverse mortgages have something called the non-recourse clause. This means that you or your state can owe more than the value of your home when the loan becomes due and the home is sold. So with an HECM generally, if you and your heirs want to pay off the loan and keep the home rather than sell it, you would have to pay more than what the appraised value of the home is. So type of reverse mortgages. As you consider whether a reverse mortgage is right for you, also consider which of the the three types of reverse mortgages that I talked about earlier might be best suiting your needs. So again, the single purpose reverse mortgage are the least expensive option. They've offered for by some state and local government agencies as well as nonprofit organizations, but they're not available everywhere. So you want to look into that. Now, these loans may be used for only one purpose, which the lender specifies. For an example, the lender might say the loan can be used only to pay off, pay for home repairs, improvements, or property taxes. Most homeowners with low or moderate income can qualify for these types of loans. Now, the next one is the proprietary reverse mortgage are private loans that are backed by the companies that develop them. So if you own a high, if you own a higher valued home, you may get a, a bigger loan advance for the um, reverse mortgage. So if your home has a higher priced value and you have a small mortgage, you might qualify for more funds. Now, the last one is the home equity conversion mortgage, the HECMs and federally insured reverse mortgages are backed by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development or HUD, HECM loans can be used for any purpose. So the HECMs are reverse mortgages may be more expensive than your traditional home loans and the upfront cost can be high. So it's really important that you consider, especially if you plan on staying in your home for the short term uh, or borrowing a small amount, how much it's really going to cost you for that reverse mortgage. Now, there are several factors that come into play. Your age is one of them. The type of reverse mortgage that you select is another. The appraised value, obviously, of your home and the current interest rates. Um, Also, the financial assessment of your willingness and the ability to pay at the property property taxes and the homeowner insurance that I talked about before. Now, in general, the older you are, the more equity that you have in your home and the less you owe on it, the more money that you can get. Before applying for an HECM, you must meet with a uh, counselor for the independent government approved housing counseling agency. Some lenders offering a reverse mortgage also require the counseling. Now, the counselor is required to explain the loan, cost, and financial implications. Uh, counselors also must explain the possible alternatives to the HECM, like government nonprofit programs or single purpose uh, reverse mortgage. Now, the counselor also should be able to help you compare the cost of the different types of reverse mortgages and tell you how the different payment options, fees, and other costs affect the total cost of the loan over time. So you can also visit HUD for a list of counselors, or you can call the agency, which is listed on their site. Uh, counseling agencies usually charge a fee for their services, often around $125. Bucks. Uh, so this fee can be paid from the loan proceeds, and you can, you know, you can't 
uh, be turned away if you can't afford the fee. So something to consider uh, there. Now, the HECMs generally give you bigger loan advances at the lower total cost than the, than the uh, proprietary loans do. In the HECM program, a borrower generally can live in a nursing home or a medical facility for up to 12 months, consecutive months before the loan must be repaid. Now, taxes and insurance still must be paid on the loan, and the home must be, again, maintained. Now, with the HECM, there is a limited limit on how much you can take out in the first year. The lender will calculate how much you can borrow based on your age, the interest rate, the value of your home, and the financial assessment. This amount is called your initial principal limit. Generally, you can take up to 60% of your initial principal limit in the first year. There are exceptions, though. Um, also, you want to make sure that you're shopping around for your reverse mortgage just like you would for anything else. You want to consider the reverse mortgage, uh, um, decide which type of reverse mortgage might be right for you. And it might depend on what you're doing with the money. Make sure you're comparing the options, the terms, the fees with various lenders. Uh, learn how much you can um, about the reverse mortgage to make sure that you're making the best decision for you. Now, here are some things to consider. Do um, do you want the reverse mortgage to pay for the home repairs or property taxes? If so, find out if you can qualify for the low-cost, single-purpose pr- single loan in your area. Uh, s- staff at your local agency and aging may know about these programs in your area, so look into that. Find the nearest agency on aging at eldercare.gov. Uh, ask about the loan and grant programs for home improvements or repairs that might be available uh, for you. Now, do you live in a higher valued home? You might be able to borrow more money, again, with the reverse um, prioritary reverse mortgage, but the more that you borrow, the higher the fees are going to be. So you also might want to consider, again, the HECM loan. Um, an HECM counselor or lender can help compare these types of mortgages uh, with you again. So you're looking at those side by side. Uh, compare your fees and cost. Uh, this bears repeating. Shop around and compare the cost on the loans that are available for you, where the mortgage insurance uh, premium is going to be the same throughout the lender. Most of the other costs can vary. And again, this is the origination fee, the interest rates, uh, closing cost, and some servicing fees will vary amongst the lenders. Now, understand the total cost and loan repayment. This is really important part of the process as a counselor or lender can explain the total cost loan cost or what they call TALC rates Uh, they show you the projected annual average cost of the reverse mortgage including all the itemized cost and you know no matter what type of reverse mortgage that you're considering understand the reasons why the loan might have you repay before you're planning on doing that uh, be wary as a, wary a sales pitch um, in reverse mortgage again, just like I said before, like any other mortgage. You just want to make sure that you have somebody that's looking up for your best interest because there is always a good loan and a bad loan. It's the person and whether it's the right loan for you that will determine that. So you want to make sure you're not getting pushed into something that's not going to be the best option for what you're ultimately trying to accomplish. So bottom line, if you don't understand the cost or features of a reverse mortgage, just walk away. If you feel any pressure... Um, walk away and just make sure you're doing your research again uh, talking with a counselor to uh, make sure you see what all of the options are available for you again a reverse mortgage can be a great vehicle for the right person but in some situations 
it's not the right vehicle. So look at your options. And that is the money chat for you coming up next in the money hour. What is innocent spouse relief? Well, I have Greg Nunn with Gregory S. Nunn and Company. Got to break it down for us right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. little I didn't talk for a long time I like things to always be the same anything new or different would scare and upset me I was very sensitive to lights and sounds it was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else so I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in I didn't like looking people in the eye it made me feel uncomfortable I throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I do the same things over and over until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Are you behind in filing your tax returns? Does the IRS claim you owe them money, but you can't pay? Are you getting nasty grams from the IRS? Are you losing sleep? Please know your tax problems can be solved. Work locally and actually meet the person that'll help you with your tax problems and not some faceless national firm. Call None Better Tax Resolution today at 1-844-SOS-1040 for a free confidential consultation. Again, call 844-SOS-1040 today and start fixing your tax problems so you can sleep peacefully. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW, the June 11th show. I'm committed to providing you the knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive by listening to the show. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but uh, you can always call the show at one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. Uh, ask any uh, guests that I have questions that you have. And actually, Greg, there was quite a few questions that came in for you the last time that you were in studio. Um, so I've got Greg here again, Greg Nunn with Gregory S. Nunn & Company. Um, we're to talk about innocent spouse relief. Greg, thanks for coming back. And it's the first time I, I didn't even know what innocent spouse relief was until I started uh, reading up a little bit on it. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me again. And I'm sure listeners out there, you're going innocent spouse relief. Like, what the heck is that? Right? <laughs> yeah, they're going to know. They're, you're going to know today. And a little background on Greg. Again, uh, Greg Nunn is founder and principal of Nunn Better Tax Resolution in Redmond, Washington. The first firm of tax resolution specialists in Washington State. His passion is helping people that find themselves in a predicament with the IRS due to 
failing to file their tax returns and or not paying what the IRS claims that they owe. He represents these troubled taxpayers vigorously before the IRS. His practice also provides tax preparation and tax planning for individuals and businesses. Gregory is a licensed CPA in the state of Washington and has been in the industry for over 30 years. He is a member of the American Society of Tax Problem Solvers, the premier associate and professionals helping tax troubled taxpayers. And he has received the top practitioner award for the American Society of Tax Problem Solvers. He is also a certified tax resolution specialist. Greg has also now just per, uh, published his book titled Solve Your Tax Problems Now. So Greg, thanks again for coming in studio. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and I think it's uh, be an interesting uh, conversation to share with our listeners. So let's get right into it. What is in- Innocent Spouse Relief? Innocent Spouse Relief, think of it this way. It's, it's getting relief when you file a joint tax return because when we file a joint tax return, we are jointly and severally liable for that tax. Mm-hmm. So a situation can occur where maybe there's tax owed and the IRS will collect that tax from whichever party they can. They really don't care if it's the husband or the wife. They're going to come collect the tax. It is the IRS. The IRS. And there can be those situations where really it's the fault of one spouse versus the other. And so there are some relief provisions that help uh, the, the innocent spouse, the one that's injured. So how does that come about, Greg? You know, tip, there's two ways. Two ways it comes about. Mm-hmm. One is uh, there is an audit of their tax return and there's a, uh, an understatement of the tax, meaning... Well, you reported that you had $50,000 in charitable contributions, as example. Okay. As an example. And the IRS comes in and goes, "Mm, you can only document 10,000 of that. So that's where there was an understatement of tax because they took too high of a deduction. Mm -hmm. And now the IRS is going, okay, you guys owe us more money. And it could be that one spouse or another was the one that perpetuated that incorrect amount. Makes sense. So what types of innocent spouse reliefs are actually available, Greg? There's three primary ones. Okay. And, and what's interesting is the IRS calls this innocent spouse relief. But to me, it's really joint tax liability relief because here are the three different ones. Okay. Under innocent spouse, there's one called innocent spouse relief. Confusing, yes. There's a second one called separation of liability. And then there's equitable relief. Okay. The innocent spouse relief and the separation of liability relate to that understatement of tax. That is, there was an understatement of tax in the return. So it means there had to have been an audit or some discovery by the IRS that you reported incorrect information in the tax return. Got it. The equitable relief is exclusively, well, not exclusively, but primarily for an underpayment of tax. That is... You owe $30,000, but you You can't pay it. it. Got it. So it's an understatement, and then there's the underpayment. Okay. Two different things. Okay. So can you explain further on what these types of relief uh, really mean? Let's talk best case scenario. Okay. Uh, As an example for equitable relief, there could be a situation, again, where, uh, well, I've seen some pretty big ones, but say it's $50,000 that's owed by this this joint return that was filed. Okay. And one of the spouses says, hey, I, I, I'm, 
none of this is my problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a situation where we'll blame the guy because guys are normally the ones that do this kind of stuff. Anyway, so the guy... You're probably right. <laughs> well, you would know you do taxes. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the guy just is having... It could be where the wife, he's just forcing her to sign the tax return. Mm-hmm. She may not know what's even in the tax return and probably doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so there was this pressure to sign the return even though she had no real knowledge of what was inside of that tax return. Hmm. So that can be a scenario whereby she might be able to request equitable relief because it just isn't fair. Yeah. Well, that's surprising with the the government that they actually have a program like that because you would think that they would uh, think it was fair. She didn't read it, but that's a whole nother uh, conversation. So what about, uh, uh, do you, can you still be married or do you have to be divorced in order, order to possibly qualify to get this relief? Well, certainly being divorced helps any one of these arguments. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you And there's one, separation of liability, where you have to be divorced to request that. And that's basically where everything's split. This is the husband's, this is the wife's, mm-hmm. and you must be divorced. Um, now, if you're not divorced, you might be after you go through this process, but uh, it really, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time when... When there's some kind of innocent spouse issue going on, the Uh the marriage is on the rocks or unfortunately it's been dissolved already. Got it. So now in this relief, is it it's relief from taxes, penalties and the interest? It is. I mean, there could be the situation where a lot of times things don't get taken care of. And the the further the time goes, the more interest that that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, if you haven't paid your taxes for a period of time, just double the amount of taxes that you owe and you're probably pretty close to the penalties and interest. Wow. Um, But yeah, if if the relief is in the form of everything, that is, it's in the relief of the taxes, the penalties and the interest. If the IRS agrees with your position that you're trying to argue with them. Got it. So again, Greg, if a, a spouse signs something, they're not doing their due diligence, and they didn't know what was going on, they could possibly still qualify for this. They, they could. Uh, I mean, I worked a case where it was, it was a very unfortunate situation because there had been spousal abuse. Okay. So the, the wife, you know, just did it for her own safety. Mm-hmm. And and oftentimes with these relief provisions, there is some kind of spousal abuse and the IRS is very sympathetic to those situations. Got it. Okay. So you're probably providing documentation and things to, you you're know, to back correct. that up. Yeah. yeah. Documentation, affidavits, that kind Got of thing. Got it. So Greg, how does the IRS actually define actual knowledge and reason to know? Looks like you got a definition right there. I do. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is that, um, that again, the, you know, remember, these are legal terms, so things just sound so bizarre. Okay. And that is that the taxpayer should have had knowledge or could have had knowledge, then they have knowledge. So... That's kind of a negative definition, if you will. Uh-huh. So if, if a person signs a tax return and they didn't do their part in, you know, hey, asking the spouse, hey, what's in here? What yep. are these deductions for? Just what I was saying. Um, just what you were saying. Yeah. And it could be that the spouse says, oh, don't worry about it, honey. Just sign the return mm-hmm. and, and get it in. That person did not have knowledge. Got it. Okay. Yep. If that person were to go through and understand what's in that tax return 
they have knowledge. Okay. So it's really the situation, and this comes up too, is where one spouse is highly educated, very technically inclined financially. So yes. they're the ones that are doing all the tax sure, stuff. Sure, sure. The other one might be a, a blue collar worker, mm-hmm. not college educated, yep. um, and, and just trust their spouse to be doing the right yeah. thing. So in, in that particular situation, Again, that kind of shows, well, there might be lack of knowledge because the person just doesn't hmm. have the education. Well, for me, to know. you know, me, Greg, I mean, I'm, I'm busy. I've got my mortgage practice. I own a software company. I do a radio show. My, I speak. My book's coming out. Uh, you know, because you're my personal uh, CPA, and you know Dave takes care of everything. So yeah. Dave tells me to sign it, I sign it. So is that if, if and I know Dave, would, I know Dave, you're listening, you wouldn't do anything bad. But if, you know, would I qualify for that? You know, you Because prob- I'm not doing my due diligence. You probably I know. would not. Yeah. That's because, mm-hmm. you know, you're a professional woman. Yeah. Um, you're, you're really good at what you do. You know uh-huh. about business and business mm-hmm. practices. Got it. So you, you don't, you can't argue ignorance makes or sense. naivety. Okay, makes sense. So how might someone qualify for the innocent spouse relief? This is the, uh, the an ordinary s- scenario, and that is under the equitable relief provision. So mm-hmm. the, the, the husband and wife owe a bunch of money, 50000 300000 whatever it is, Let's hope it's fifty thousand, yeah. not three hundred thousand. Right. And, and, <laughs> and they end up getting a divorce. Okay. So now they're living in two separate households. Mm-hmm. The IRS is sending collection notices to both of them. Okay. The IRS is going to try to levy the assets of both of them. Of course. And the and then the wife says, "Why I I had nothing to do with this. This was yeah. all my husband's doing." Uh huh. And so if it can be shown that the husband actually is the one at fault. That is, they're the ones that generated all the income, and maybe the wife hardly generated any. Okay. Um, th- there was spousal abuse. Uh, in the divorce decree, it stipulated that the husband was responsible to pay all the taxes. Yep. All of those things help and are in favor of that wife requesting innocent spouse relief. Got it. And if she prevails, it could be a situation where... Uh, she's not liable for anything. Yeah. Okay. Anything, because it could be a very severe financial hardship. So you're really you're really putting together um, you're really putting together a package and documenting why it should it be is. fair for you. Then I can I can guess why you would not qualify. The example I just gave. Right. If you're not doing your due diligence, you're just signing just because you're leaving it up to your husband to take care of that. That's not going to help you that's out. That's not going to go real Anything well. else that's going to stand out that's uh, going to prevent somebody from qualifying for the relief, Greg. Right. Yeah. Any, any, anything else that, or is that's mainly, I mean, if you can't prove one of those uh, areas you gotta be that, able to, you got to be able to show that basically you were ignorant, you didn't have knowledge, it. and that the other party was the one that doing it all. So let me ask you this, Greg, could both spouses, I mean, if the, you know, let's just keep going with the man and use him as the example, he did the taxes, and, um, uh, you know, the wife qualifies, is there any reason that he would be able to qualify under the innocent spouse relief as well? Here's how that works, and it, it, the IRS really does try to do this fairly, in my okay. opinion. That is, say the wife files for innocent spouse relief for equitable relief. Mm-hmm. The IRS will then notify and provide a copy of that filing uh-huh. to the husband so that he has an opportunity to read and to see what the spouse was saying as to why she should get okay. equitable relief. Okay. And then he has an opportunity to rebut so he statement. can he can appeal. He can appeal. Got it. Okay. Um, 
and again, he could appeal once the IRS comes down and says, no, we're equitable relief. We say it is. Boom. Mr. John, you're going to pay for all of it. He does have the um, right to appeal that. Okay. All right. So, Greg, um, if somebody's listening and, and is in this unfortunate situation, what are the steps that they should be taking? Obviously, time. I mean, you always talk about time, and we know that. And everything I everything I, I bring in with all the experts, it's always about, you know, you really don't want to procrastinate with anything. Things just get bigger and worse as you pr- procrastinate. So first thing is to take action. And what is that first action? And they, they do get bigger and worse, that is for sure. If you think you're in this situation, first of all, you know, you have my, my sympathy because I know it's a very difficult thing mm-hmm. to be, be part of. Um, but if you are feeling as though you qualify for some kind of spousal relief, contact a professional, hopefully me, uh-huh. that can really guide you through the process, mm-hmm. someone that you can tell your story to, that can evaluate what the facts and circumstances are to help you determine, well, can you really qualify for it or okay. not? Uh, it's getting help. That is just the key thing. you got to get help. Yep. You know, oftentimes emotions are just kind of screwed up and running around in the head kind of funny. And to have someone that's a professional to listen to it mm-hmm. and to really know what's going on can be a fantastic help. Yeah, so the first step is take action. And taking action is to call an expert. And that's why I have the show. That's what the show is all about. Exactly. It's bringing in experts in every field that can assist if you happen to be in that space and that situation. So uh, that's why Greg's here. Reach out to him. So let's say that somebody is uh, denied for the innocent spouse, spouse relief. Um, can they can they reapply for it? Or is it a one-shot deal? If if the uh, request is denied, mm-hmm. they have appeals rights. Okay. And that can be appealed then to the appeals officer at the IRS, and you can present your story of the facts again. Okay. All right. And, and again, if you hire a good professional that's persuasive and, and helpful in communicating can with really the situation. Can really help put that package together. Okay, they can really be helpful. Yeah. It's kind of like getting a, you know, a mortgage. I mean, you can package a mortgage to um, uh, favorable and the compensating factors or not do a, a good job as a mortgage professional. Absolutely. And you may not have the same result in the underwriting yep. approval. So, Greg, another related relief is the injured spouse relief. What is that? you got a big smile on your face. Why yeah. is that? <laughs> it's so You're funny the over there. words that, that are in law. You know, you have innocent spouse and then you have injured, injured spouse. spouse. And injured spouse sounds like someone got hurt. Exactly. That's what I thought. Um, and, but that really isn't it. Think about it this way. Okay. The innocent spouse rules relate to post-marriage issues. Okay. okay. The injured spouse relates to pre marriage issues. Oh. Here's what I mean. Husband owes $50,000. Again, we'll talk. We'll pick on the guy. Sorry, guys. That's but, okay. You know, if you got you're this, a guy, so you better be yeah, picking on right. the guys and not the girls. That's right. And man up. If I you're, can pick on the girls. Man, there you go. So the, <laughs> he owes 50 grand and before the marriage and he gets married. Mm-hmm. So now they file a joint tax return. There's a, say there's a $20,000 refund coming. Okay. The IRS ordinarily would apply all of that 20000 refund toward the husband's tax obligation. So the injured spouse is that, wait a minute, by doing that, I'm getting injured financially because that was, that was my lovely husband's Mm -hmm. liability before we got married. Got it. So then you file for injured spouse relief so you can get your fair share of that refund. Makes total sense. 
regarding all this innocent spouse information and those that you have been listening, you probably know now more than the average CPA. And I don't, I'm not picking on my profession. It's just an area that is, takes a lot of knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. of how this thing works. So whether it's you or a friend or a family member, have them seek help. Great disclosure there, Greg. Thank you. So if you're listening and you need an expert in the tax arena to keep yourself out of trouble, Greg is your guy. That's why I invite him into studio. Um, if you are in trouble, you definitely need to get uh, professional advice and Greg can assist you there too. Call the show at one 855 or go online at themoneyr.com. Greg, thanks again for uh, visiting me in studio and sharing your wealth of information. Uh, Tina, thank you so much for having me. Coming up next to the Money Hour, how do you buy a HUD home for pennies on the dollar? We have Larry Goins with the Goins Group LLC right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. behind in filing your tax returns? Does the IRS claim you owe them money, but you can't pay? Are you getting nasty grams from the IRS? Are you losing sleep? Please know your tax problems can be solved. Work locally and actually meet the person that'll help you with your tax problems and not some faceless national firm. Call None Better Tax Resolution today at 1-844-SOS-1040 for a free confidential consultation. Again, call 844-SOS-1040 today and start fixing your tax problems so you can sleep peacefully. Hi, I'm Minnie Driver, and I'm here to share some important information about ovarian cancer. Although it's more common in older women, Ovarian cancer can affect women of all ages, even in their 20s. There is no early detection test, and symptoms can be subtle. But even though you can't see it, you can take steps to get ahead of it by knowing your risk factors, such as family history of cancer and presence of gene mutations like BRCA. So talk to your family and talk to your doctor. Knowing this information will help you take control of your health and be more aware of the vague signs that could indicate ovarian cancer. We're learning more every day, and we will continue our collaborative research for diagnosing and treating this devastating disease. Be proactive, know your risk factors, and the sooner the better. Just because you can't see ovarian cancer doesn't mean it's not there. To learn more about the symptoms, risk factors, and research, go to su2c.org ovarian. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 11th show. I provide you the news on everything money, fresh information, and market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. To talk with the guests that I have in studio, you can call at one 855 Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And I'm actually having a phone conversation. Uh, today, not in studio because Larry's out of our area, but I have Larry Goins with the Goins Group LLC, and we're going to be discussing uh, buying HUD homes for pennies on the dollar. Larry, thanks for coming back uh, or talking with me again about your uh, your expertise and your in this arena. 
Awesome. Thanks a lot, Tina, for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. A little bit of uh, background about Larry. Larry is an active real estate investor, author, and coach, and travels the U.S. speaking and training uh, audiences at conventions, expos, real estate investment uh, associations on his strategies for buying and selling 10 to 20 properties per month without leaving your home. Larry has written two books that can be found in the bookstore um, anywhere, Getting Started in Real Estate, uh, Day Trading, and Hut Homes Half Off. Between speaking engagements and mentoring investors, he oversees the daily operations of Investors Rehab, Inc., which is a real estate investment company that buys and sells 10 to 20 properties a month. As a husband, father, businessman, and real estate investor, uh, Larry holds true to his core values and moral integrity. His professional, personal, and business motto is people and principles before profits. So, uh, Larry, can you talk a, a little bit about what a HUD what a HUD house is? Explain that to my listeners and how does the house become a HUD house? Oh, I'll be glad to. Be glad to. Well, you know, HUD is a great way to find great deals on properties. And the way a HUD house becomes a HUD house is someone gets an FHA loan, Tina. And what they do is they go to a bank and get a loan, and that loan is underwritten based on FHA guidelines. Now, FHA, Federal Housing Administration, or HUD, Housing Urban Development, they don't they don't make loans. They just insure loans. When a borrower goes to a bank, say Bank of America or Chase or Wells Fargo, and get a FHA loan, and that loan is insured by FHA, so a little bit of premium is paid every month along with their mortgage payment mm-hmm. to FHA to insure that loan. So if and when that borrower defaults on the loan with, say, Bank of America, then Bank of America contacts FHA, which is HUD, and says the borrower has defaulted. I'm cashing in my insurance policy that we've been making payments on or the borrower has. So now HUD pays off Bank of America and then HUD forecloses on that property and it becomes a HUD house. So, Larry, why are the HUD properties, um, I mean, this is your specialty in HUD homes. What What is exciting for you in uh, coaching and educating about how to, pur- how to purchase these homes? And we're not seeing as many of them now because we're, you know, I mean, it was a lot, uh, a lot more common after the financial meltdown um, and things are obviously uh, getting better. So why do you continue to focus on HUD properties? Well, I love HUD houses. On, on, of the 21 deals I have on my board right now, mm-hmm. and we buy and sell a lot of houses and help people become homeowners, probably about 16 of them are HUD houses. It's a very, very simple, easy-to-understand process, and uh, it's, it can all be done online. It's really, really simple process. And, and yes, I mean, there's not as many deals out there on HUD as, more, as they used to be. However... There's not as many of REO properties or foreclosures mm-hmm. or other properties as there used to be, you know. But HUD continues to be a very good source for us to get properties at deep discounts. Well, and I think also too, Larry, uh, you know, people aren't thinking about HUD homes. They're, you know, they're because the we're not in that financial <clears throat> crisis. So, um, you know, kind of. Uh, working an avenue of areas that there's not a lot of people out there uh, checking them out anyways. Now, Larry, what about um, uh, the discounted price? Can you, you know, why is it that you're able to get these discounted price on HUD homes? Well, you know, a lot of people say that. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, I I can't get a deal on a HUD house. You know, Mm -hmm. 
But but the the challenge is, or I shouldn't say the challenge, the thing you have to realize is, if a house was listed last week, and you know this, Tina, if a house was listed last week for, say, $100,000, you're not going to be able to pick up that house three days after it was listed for $30,000, dollars $50,000. Correct. That house is going to need to be on the market for at least 60 to 75 days, okay? Which in this market, so, no uh, house is staying on the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's true, and that's true. So, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I can't get any, any houses in my market or in my area. You know, well, you may need to go outside the area a little bit, especially for investing, mm-hmm. especially for investing. And I do buy a lot of houses in smaller towns, what I would call bedroom communities from the big MSAs, mm-hmm. metropolitan statistical areas. But we're getting really good deals. I, I bought a house and I know these values are going to be hard to understand for you guys out there on the West Coast. But um, I bought a house not too long ago. It was listed for $44,000, and I picked it up for $9,125. That's 20%. Yeah, crazy. So if you're if you're looking at building in your investment portfolio, um, you know, not really in our area here necessarily, but getting a property in, in areas that might be in some economic distress and areas uh, that, you know, that they have some more HUD homes. So do you, can anybody bid on a HUD home? Uh, Larry, can you answer that question for my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, anyone can bid. However, the bid must be submitted by a realtor mm-hmm. with what's called an NAID number. That stands for National Identifier Number. And most every realtor does have one of those, or they work for an office that the uh, the real estate company sure. has an NAID number. So it, it just has to be submitted by a realtor with an NAID number. And, you know, quite frankly, most of the time, these properties are only available to owner-occupied bidders for, say, the first 15 days. Got it. And that makes sense because HUD's trying to protect the homeownership um, for people that are trying to get into homes. So if you're listening and want to know the why behind it, is that's really what HUD is for. HUD's help people to get into homes, not to help uh, the investors um, you know, build their portfolio. So makes sense. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. They want to promote home ownership. Correct. So, Larry, the process of buying one of these uh, these HUD homes, how does that look? The the process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a pretty streamlined process, which is pretty neat. You know, you can go to HUDHomestore.com, and you can take a look at all the properties. You can search by state, by city, by county, number of bedrooms, number of baths, address, if you know a specific address or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all uh, listed by case number. That's the way the government keeps track of them. However, you can go there and search and find out and analyze the deals and determine what you want to bid on it. But HUD, quite frankly, uh, is a daily auction. Every day you can submit a bid on a property, mm-hmm. and, and they go through it, and they have a computer system, and it goes through and looks at the bids and determines are they going to reject it or counter it or accept it. Mm -hmm. And it's a daily auction. You can bid on the same house every day if you want to. And and like I mentioned, there's one of three things that can happen. They either reject it. If they Mm -hmm. reject it, nothing happens. It just expires. Sure. Or they could counter they could counter or they could accept your bid. Mm-hmm. That's the three things that can happen. Makes sense. And again, everything is just, uh, you're just doing it online. So it's uh, easy to do it from anywhere. 
So, Larry, what about after, let's just say that the offer does get accepted, um, what happens during the offer process? Anything that's, you know, different from your traditional uh, purchase? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I mean, they could, like I said, they could either counter or accept. If Mm -hmm. they counter, you could counter back, or you could accept their counter, or you could submit a new bid Mm -hmm. if you wanted to. And if they accept your bid, then what's going to happen is they're going to email your realtor with the NAID number that mm-hmm. submitted the bid, they're going to email them the contract package. Now, um, the, the contract package for an investor is a little different than for an owner-occupied buyer. An owner-occupied buyer can make it subject to financing approval. Okay. When they sell a house to an investor, it's a cash-only sale. There's mm-hmm. no contingencies. There's no inspection period or due diligence period. You know, you need to have looked at the property prior to uh, bidding on the property and make sure that you know the condition of it and all that. Because if you if they accept your bid, it's yours. And you send in your deposit and the contract. If you don't close, you will not get your deposit back. Yeah, makes it makes sense. So, what are the the behind the scenes strategies that you're using to get uh, these HUD homes at a discounted price? Oh, that's a great question. That really is. Well, we have bought properties at 50, 40, 30, even 20% of list price. And we look for unique properties. I'll give you, I'll give you a really good example here. Mm-hmm. We found a property not too long ago that was a two-bedroom house, okay? It had been on the market about 75 days. And it was a two-bedroom house, but the house was 1,400 and like 50 square feet, Okay. okay. It's big enough for three or four bedrooms, actually. Mm-hmm. So because the house was only a two-bedroom, what we did is we went in and looked at the house and said, look, you can put a wall up here, a closet here. Mm-hmm. You can turn it actually into a, a four-bedroom house. So now we have a value of a house that with a little bit of remodeling, yeah. it turns from a two into a four-bedroom house. So we bid on that house as a two-bedroom but we're able to sell it as a four-bedroom and create a lot more value there. So we bought it at a deep discount. Yeah, That's so just and, one simple way. And that, and that makes total sense. So this is not, you know, any um, uh, magic things. It's, it's really being strategic on the houses that you're picking and using an expert that can help you through that process to find those and not, you know, just jumping into anything to jump into it, but making sure that you're jumping in when you find that right financial opportunity a home do you have another one that you can share uh, with my listeners larry oh absolutely absolutely we look for properties in specific areas not big cities not big msas but like bedroom communities mm-hmm. smaller towns where people were born there they're raised there they live there all their life and they want to build a family and want to want to have a home and they're very stable and there's not near as much competition. Yeah. Now, this is true not only on HUD, but every other source as well. But there's not a lot of investors out there in the smaller towns. And we're able to pick up properties at 50, 40, 30, sometimes even 20% of list price. Now, also, here's another one. There's a sweet spot for getting HUD to, to give you a deep discount. Okay. The sweet spot is around 60 to 75 days on the market. Got it. If the house hasn't sold in 60 to 75 days, they start to lower the amount mm-hmm. that they will take on a house. 
which is really good. Yeah, so it's and that's why it's important, you know, having an expert that is uh, in that arena doing this on a you know day in and day out understands you know what those um, how those statistics and numbers work to where you can uh, get the bank down. So that's awesome. So um, a steps in some simple steps in the system um, for analyzing whether it's a good deal. Is that something that you're doing for your clients or you're giving it to them and, and telling them, hey, you want to start looking at properties that are, you know, on the market 60, 70, you know, days plus, or, you know, how does that process work in what you're doing with your clients? That's right. In fact, typically we don't even start bidding on a house until it's probably been on the market 50 to 60 days, something mm-hmm. like that. That's when we start bidding. However, However, I do want to share this with you. For example, we picked up a house recently. It was listed for 44000 That was in one of these smaller towns. Mm-hmm. Okay? It was in one of the smaller towns, but it was listed for 44000 Now, the 15-day bidding period for owner-occupied only had expired, and this very day it was available to investors. Mm-hmm. We called the listing agent. They said, this house is way underpriced. I mean, we looked at it. We could tell it was way underpriced. Yeah. And it was listed for 44000 That's another advantage of HUD houses is they're, they're typically listed below list price already. Mm-hmm. So it was listed for forty four. She had three other investors bidding on it. We bid up to 45601 We mm-hmm. just kept going up to like the next thing, you know, 441 44501 then we finally got to 45601. We got it. Mm-hmm. We got the house. And we put it on the market right away for 99.9. The house needed no work. It was in pristine condition. Mm. We asked the realtor what kind of work it needs. She said it needs curtains. Mm-hmm. That's all it needs. Mm. So we put it on the market right away for 99.9, as is. I mean, it didn't need any work. Yep. And the third person to look at it made an offer of 85000 They got their own money. We made $40,000 on it and didn't touch it. Yeah, not too not too bad. You just got to be looking looking for those uh, opportunities. So do you see on the investment side, um, uh, mainly because majority of my regular listeners are, you know, um, uh, around our local area here and anybody in buying these, you know, opportunities for these head properties would be buying um, uh, investment opportunity or uh, more likely as a, f- a flip opportunity and to be able to turn right. that quickly. So do you see majority of the, your investors, are they um, turning around and selling them right away or do you have some of your pool that actually are holding on to them as investment properties? Well, that's a great question. And quite frankly, I, I teach mainly, I've done rentals. I've uh-huh. done, I've done landlording. I've done fix and flip. I've done wholesaling. I've done seller financing. I've done commercial, residential, multifamily, the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. Mm-hmm. But there's two things about real estate that I don't like. It's tenants and rehabs. Got <laughs> the it. only two things I don't like. So I do, I do seller financing. Mm-hmm. Like we, we bought a house recently for 30000 and we got a great deal on it. I mean, the house was worth probably seventy five thousand, mm-hmm. but we sold it for sixty nine nine. We got five thousand dollars down payment from the buyer who couldn't qualify for a mortgage, mm-hmm. and and then we financed sixty four nine. So now we have just under six hundred dollars a month coming in for the next twenty years. Got it. And the other thing we do is we do wholesaling. Like we'll find a property at a deep discount mm-hmm. and then we'll add about 10000 to it and sell it to somebody who is going to fix and flip the property. Got it. Okay. All right. So um, I've got a minute. Just got to wrap up the show here. So just uh, a really quickly a call to action for anybody that's interested. 
Oh, absolutely. If you'd like to get a copy of my book, we talked about this. It's called HUD Homes Half Off, How to Buy a HUD House at 50, 40, 30, even 20% of list price. You can get it available wherever books are sold, but just go to freehudbook.com and you can, uh, you can get one absolutely free. And uh, we'll be, be glad to send it right out to you. Larry, thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, conversation with you again and I uh, look forward to talk- talking to you in the future. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And this is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday, the rest of your weekend, and I'll be here next weekend to talk a little bit more about your money right here at 1150 AM KKNW. The preceding program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information.